in the book, Steve Jobs by Walter Isaacson. Isaacson doesn't just talk about intuition. He talks about Steve Jobs' ability to bend reality. Ben reality. The word bend reality is used three times in that book. Oh. I believe this is what Jobs was doing. And it's not just Steve Jobs. Like so many remarkable men I know and women, they report that life gets really easy for them. They move into these states of flow, these states where they just, they just know and everything appears easy. And I believe we can train people to get to these states. Wow. Hi, I'm Vishen Lakhiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Welcome back to Leaders Create Leaders, season six. I am so excited about this episode because we have with us one of the most remarkable conscious leaders. Uh, in the world right now, someone who's been such a huge inspiration for me. Uh, Vision, thank you so much for coming and being able to take some time to share with the Leaders Great Leaders community in the world. Thank you so much for being here thank today. Thank you, Gerard. It's an honor to be here. Yeah. Wow. So uh, just recently, I saw you put up a video that had gone viral talking about the vision before the vision that we know today that's reached tens of millions of lives a business that's been around for well over a decade and on track to go to hitting a billion people by 2038. And I was so inspired by that because a lot of times, especially the millennial generation, we get to see the highlight reel on social media, but we don't actually get to see what it took to get there. So before we get into you know, how Mind Valley became the movement it is today, talk to me a little bit about what it was like when you first were growing up and that moment when you decided at Microsoft to quit and not even shake Bill Gates' hands. Well, that, but Presley, that, that makes it sound like, like I had a thing against Bill Gates. Yeah. You know, what, what happened was that um, growing up in an Asian family, yeah. there's this focus on becoming an engineer or a doctor or a lawyer. Yeah. And if you don't, then you're option four, which is family failure. Right. And so I grew up with the idea that to truly be successful in life, I had to fit into one of these boxes. So the yeah. box I picked was engineer. Right. So I worked really hard. I went to computer engineering school, racked up this massive like, like, uh, tuition bill. And finally, I got a job at Microsoft. And that was the end goal. You see, in 1998, working at Microsoft would be like working at Apple or Google today. Um, so it was every young engineer's dream. Um, but what happened was, within 11 weeks of working at Microsoft, I realized that it just wasn't my dream. I was bored. I, I had no passion for the job. The company treated people so great. I remember Bill Gates invited all the interns to his home. He was cooking burgers for us. Yeah. I don't think they do that right now anymore, but that was the way it was in 1998. I remember being at Bill Gates' home, and I, I couldn't shake his hand. All the other interns were lining up to shake his hand because I knew that I didn't belong there. I knew my heart wasn't there, but I was too chicken to quit. So I decided to get my job fired by deliberately playing computer games. And again, this, I was 21 years old. I was an yeah, idiot. Right. I decided to deliberately play computer games all day in my office. I had a private office at Microsoft till my manager caught me and I wanted to be fired. And so I got fired. And now I didn't have to tell my dad and my mom that I quit. I could just say I got fired, which in my, again, 21-year-old brain seemed like a more rational choice. So I quit Microsoft. I had no idea what I was doing, and that started possibly 
well, one, 10 years of trying to figure stuff out. 10 years bouncing back and forth, experimenting. It was only 10 years later in 2008 that things began to click. Wow. And for that 10 years, I always felt like I was behind all my other friends who, were, who had the successful jobs, who were climbing up the corporate ladder. Now, what tends to happen is when you are able to step away from what I call the culture scape, which is the preset notion of rules and society's beliefs and rituals on how we need to function in life, what often happens is that your acceleration may be a little bit slower. But in that time, in that journey in the wilderness, you might find that thing that clicks. And when you find that thing that clicks and you find a thing that's different from everyone else, you now have an edge because you're different. And that edge could take you really, really, really far. So for that 10 years from 1998 to 2008, I was way behind almost everyone I graduated with. In 2008, because I was, I'd, been, I'd had 10 years of experimenting as an entrepreneur, first company failed, second company failed, third company failed. In 2008, something clicked and then boom, everything took off. But it took 10 years for that rocket ship to take off. And I think that's the main lesson over here, right? Elon Musk once said, entrepreneurship is like crawling into a dark abyss and chewing glass. Um, I don't think it was that bad, <laughs> um, but it still was 10 years of insecurity, yeah. of self-doubt, of seeing your first company fail, then your second company fail, of being in a car accident, not having enough insurance, of um, um, being literally homeless because I couldn't pay rent, of so many, so much shit yeah, I remember before reading, things start taking off. I remember reading in the book, you had like, you even at one point, you, you were living with your buddies as well, and you had like a girlfriend come over and were insecure that, you know, that this wasn't even your place. Oh, yeah, you had. I, lived, I lived in an apartment in New York. Yeah. I couldn't afford my own place, so it was an apartment. We had a, we had a curtain separating my side of the apartment with the other guy, his name was James, good roommate, but his side, we couldn't afford normal curtains, so it was a pink shower curtain, the cheapest curtain we could buy. So I remember wow. when my girlfriend, who, whom I ended up marrying, came over, like that was the wall that separated our privacy from the guy next door. So that, that was part of that 10 years of trying to figure stuff out. I was in New York, living below the poverty line. But you got to go through that yeah. sometimes, right? Success, not everyone is going to be Mark Zuckerberg. Not everyone is going to find success at 25. You know, a study showed that most people finally figure it out. Can you guess at what age? 38. I was going to say 40. 38. 38 is when it starts making sense. Wow. Why is that? Do you believe that it, it, a lot of it does? Because I know you talk about the culture scape, but it's right. a lot of this conditioning. Right. So how do we uncondition to find our true purpose? Right. Okay, so, so there are a couple of things which I figured out. So the first thing is the word culture scape is a word I coined in my first book, The Code of the Extraordinary Mind. Culture scape is defined as that tangled web of beliefs, rituals, ideas that come, that surround us. And like a fish swimming in water, a fish doesn't know it's in a substance called water. We don't know that as human beings, we are living in two worlds. There's the physical world, like right. this chair. Then there's the world of beliefs, ideas, rituals. Human beings are not rational. We are irrational. We imitate. In face of a complex world, we imitate. Most people are imitations of what other people are doing. And so most people tend to live ordinary lives. 
What I suggest in my book is that we can get ourselves, rather than be imitators, to become true artists of our life. I remember once speaking to Don Miguel Ruiz. He wrote the amazing book, Mastery of Love, and he wrote The Four Agreements. So he's one of the greatest spiritual authors of our time, and all his books are based on this concept called Toltec Wisdom. The Toltecs were a people who, an ancient Mexican culture. So I asked him, what is this, what, what is Toltec Wisdom? And he said, look, the Toltecs believe, the Toltecs were artists, and they believe that we all need to be artists of our own life. Most people, however, never become an artist of their own life. They never decide that this is a canvas and you want to put the red here and you want to put the yellow here and you want to smear around the blue and you want to put a giant white stripe. Most people are simply photocopies. But you can do so much more. And the people who are doing things as a true masterpiece, those are the people who it might take a little bit longer, but you end up with a far more fulfilling life. You don't wake up one day at the age of 40 going, what the hell happened to me? So me giving up my job at Microsoft when I was 21 years old in 1998 was me basically saying, screw the photocopy. That was what my, my, my culture wanted me to do. That's what the education system told me I needed to do. I needed to discover myself what I wanted to do. And so all the jobs I took thereafter were all irrational. I joined a nonprofit working on world peace. I was paid below the poverty line, traveled around the world, meeting people of different cultures. That's why I met the woman I would end up in a relationship with for 19 years, two kids. If I hadn't taken that job and worked under the poverty line, I wouldn't have my children today. I became a meditation instructor. If I hadn't become a meditation instructor earning really shit money, I wouldn't have learned how to use my mind the way it is. I became a photographer. I went to Bosnia to photograph Bosnia after the war. Um, if I hadn't become a photographer, Mind Valley wouldn't have the visual style that made us the company we were in our space. You know, it's like Steve Jobs said, you cannot connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect the dots looking backwards. What I found is that when you free yourself from the culture scape and you follow your heart, your soul will put you at exactly the right places you need to be so that you discover why you are here on this planet. In my newest book, I call it Your Soul Print. I suggest that every individual is a soul first having a human experience and your soul has a plan for you. And your soul is going to put you in circumstances that will give you like hints of this plan. Most people decide rather than listen to the soul, they're just going to photocopy their life. But if you can screw the photocopy machine and get to your soul print and trust your gut, you're more likely to discover what really makes you you. So I was in Silicon Valley and my timing sucked and the dot-com bubble burst. I lost $30,000 I borrowed from my father to start a software company and I was homeless. Literally a friend gave me a sofa to sleep on. I found a bullshit job um, where I was, I was basically selling technology to lawyers, picking up the phone and just dialing lawyers and having lawyers tell me every single day to fuck off because I was interrupting them in the middle of a busy day. Under so much stress, I took meditation to alleviate that stress. I didn't know that that meditation class would lead, to, lead me to starting a massive meditation company that will soon be worth a billion dollars. I joined a nonprofit, traveled around the world. I didn't know that because of that travel, I would meet the woman whom I would have two kids with and my two children, Hayden and Eve, are the most important things in my life. I didn't know that 
deciding to become a photojournalist and going to Bosnia to photograph that country after the war to raise awareness of what was going on would lead me to become really into art. I didn't know that that art would later cause me to, to create the world's most elegant design uh, in terms of meditation apps and personal growth that would give us our edge. I didn't know how any of those dots were going to connect. I simply was following where I felt my heart needed me to be. And I think people have to get this. You do not have as much control over your life as you think you do. Spiritual philosophers say your life is about half intention. It's half destiny or what your soul wants you to be and where your soul wants you to be. And when you can trust that and, and listen to your heart and listen to your intuition, you're more likely to follow the right breadcrumbs to who you're really meant to be. Wow. That's so uh, profound, and uh, I believe in that. I genuinely, I really do. That, I, I, and I feel like it's, it's sometimes it's getting out of your head and really tapping into your heart. And uh, a lot of people don't know necessarily how to be able to do that. And I think that I've, you know, over these last, I would say, maybe three, four years, you know, I've really tried to build a relationship with my gut, my, my intuition, you know, like, because it, it all, it all, tells us it always says like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but like a lot of times we don't listen because that that fear that ego kind of steps in so you know how have you built a relationship with your intuition and like, what's your what are your thoughts on ego right well firstly ego is is a is a is a construct that doesn't exist in in my world uh, i'll come to that in a moment let's go to the first one intuition intuition is one of the most important things we need to learn but our schooling system completely beats it out of us. But if you, if you truly look at men and women who are making a massive impact in the world, intuition is always there. I remember speaking to a guy, um, actually I think I can say his name, Richard Branson. And I remember being in a meeting with Richard Branson once, uh, it was a mastermind of entrepreneurs, and he shared something really interesting. The host of that mastermind asked him, Richard, you have something like 300 different projects and companies, all with different partners. How do you know who to trust? And Richard said something interesting. He said, within 60 seconds of shaking someone's hand, I just know. I can't explain it, but I just know, right? And then I remember um, reading Walter Isaacson's book on Steve Jobs. And Isaacson said, Jobs believed in intuition or prana. He went to India. He backpacked through right. India. He believed in, in a different intuitive way of understanding the world. Jobs was called a magician genius. He came up with ideas that were so mind-blowing. They didn't exist in the world. He invented radical new things, not incremental innovations, but things that were completely new. Like what was the incremental innovation before the iPhone or the iPod? These were huge leaps of the imagination. Again, intuition. And in the Stanford address, he did say, listen to your heart and intuition. They somehow know who you are meant to become. So again, Behind closed doors, there is this talk of intuition that so many successful people I know don't actually mention it in public because they don't want to be judged. Now, the world is changing. Today, we know intuition is real. There were studies at Newark College of Engineering by Professor John Mihalaski who showed, showed that CEOs who score high in intuition tests actually create more profitable companies, right? We know intuition is real. What was your intuition? that made you set up Elite Daily. How did you know it was going to take off? Yeah. You know, I didn't. I just, I, I followed my heart. I felt that, you know, any great idea, 
a lot of times stems from something that we wish existed in right. the world. So why not us? Exactly. And why not believe that we can, you know, have the opportunity to, to create that and be that person, right? Exactly. So for me, that's what it was. It was like, well, I wish this existed. I wish there was a publication that spoke to millennials, for millennials. Like, why not us? And, um, and you're, it, was, it was being a little naive and it was stepping into the unknown and stepping into the uncertainty that, you know, it's okay to not necessarily have all the answers right. or have all the plan. In fact, most of the times when you do plan, it never ends up being that plan right. anyways. Um, so. You know, and, and that's really true. There was a study on intuition that showed that, so they, did two, they took two groups of people. One group of people researched for around six to eight hours the car that they were going to buy. The others were forced to make a quick decision. They intuitively just decided in the car they were going to buy. Now, after 30 days or so in the study, I don't remember the exact time period, but they found that the people who made the quick decision were happier with their purchase than the people who put in hours of research. Now, I'm not saying don't research, but I'm saying that there is a value in listening to that gut. Right. Yeah, 100%. And I, I, th I feel... The, my, my rituals and the meditation, um, sound healing, there's so many different right. modalities now. And what I love is that you, you talked about the shift that is happening around the world, the shift of consciousness that's becoming, you know, that's, that's really becoming a, a conversation all around the world, even to some of the biggest executives around the world. Because I feel some, you know, there's still some people out there that talk about it as if it's just woo-woo, you know, that there's right. not real, but now there's like real science behind a well, lot today, of Well, today, if you about. say this stuff is woo-woo, you're the one in the minority. Right that the world has changed dramatically fast. Yeah. Do you feel that a lot of this is directly correlated to happiness and success in the fact that you are following this intuition? Yeah, yeah. So, so firstly, there is a correlation, right? And it's not just intuition. There are two emerging human qualities which are gonna take the world by storm. And we're only just starting to, to study these qualities. Intuition is the first one. And intuition is not just a gut feeling. I just got back from India, where, where I visited an ashram, um, and I saw some crazy things, Gerard. I saw kids who had been trained to use their intuition to such a degree that they could perceive color with their fingers. I saw a child blindfolded solve a Rubik's Cube. They then gave me a piece of paper, and they gave me magic markers, and they said, write a sentence down in this paper using a different color for each word. So I wrote down a sentence. The rainbow is a slide for unicorns to come down to earth. That was it, just a random sentence. The blindfolded girl then, using her intuition, wrote down exactly what I had written down with the exact same color for the exact same word. Whoa. So they're using this to teach blind kids to read. Now, I'd heard about this type of thing. I thought it was a scam. I thought it was baloney until I witnessed it, right? This, was, this is how deep intuition can go. Now, we're going to start seeing that more and more and more and more and more. More and more schooling systems are starting to teach intuition. In Japan, there are now kindergartens that you can enroll your children in. I think it's called the Shishida method, where they teach children intuition. And it's, it's remarkable. It's a gut thing. So this is one emerging human quality. There's a second one. And that second one is the idea that our mind can influence reality. We can create synchronicities, coincidences. We can accelerate movement towards goals. Again, if we go back to Steve Jobs, and I'm using him as an example because he's probably the greatest CEO the world has ever had. He built the biggest company in the world. In the book, Steve Jobs by Walter Isaacson, Isaacson doesn't just talk about intuition. 
he talks about Steve Jobs' ability to bend reality. Bend reality. The word bend reality is used three times in that book. Oh. I believe this is what Jobs was doing. And it's not just Steve Jobs. Like so many remarkable men I know and women, they report that life gets really easy for them. They move into these states of flow, these states where they just, they just know and everything appears easy. And I believe we can train people to get to these states. Wow. What are like the beginning steps for someone that's like watching right now that feels lost, that feels confused, that feels like they're not living out their soul's purpose, they're not tapping into that soul print, mm -hmm. you know, um, and they crave that. They know they're meant for more. They want to make a difference in the world. They just don't know how to get out of their own way. Because that's usually a lot of times where, what it is. And that's why I talked about ego before, because I feel like a lot of times ego is the thing that kind of gets us in our own way of telling us we're not good enough or, or that's where the fear lies or that's where the uncertainty is or the doubts or the conditioning from our parents and our ancestors. So how do you get out of your own way and, and, and not allow the ego to make those decisions and start to really tap into what that soul said? Right. Okay, so the first thing is, the first thing is you have to have a meditation practice. And again, there are now so many studies on meditation and the positive benefits of meditation, right? If you aren't meditating, you don't know what you're missing. It's like today, not meditating is like living life with no exercise. It's just yeah. not good for you. But when you meditate, that's when you start being able to grow your intuition. That's when these intuitive impulses come. Now, the problem is most people meditate wrong. They think it's about clearing your mind. Mm. They think it's about focusing on your breath. Not necessarily, those things help. But ultimately, you can meditate you can meditate to go within, to listen, and to have ideas emerge. I remember being on Tom Bilyeu's show, Impact Theory, yeah. right, which is a popular YouTube show. And Tom Bilyeu, so we were talking about meditation, and Tom Bilyeu said, it's really interesting what you said, Vishen, because I don't clear my mind when I meditate. Rather, ideas come to me. And I said, Tom, that's really interesting. How, what percentage of your ideas come to you during, during this clearing of your mind during, of meditation? And he said, 80%. Wow. He says he's even given it a name, Thinkitation. And remember, Tom Bilyeu is a guy who came up with a billion dollar company, Quest Nutrition. Yeah. So he didn't say he comes up with ideas in the boardroom with a group of strategy consultants. He says it's true meditation and these thoughts flowing. Now it's the same with me. Yeah. When I'm meditating, that's when the best ideas come to me. Mm. The question is, where are these ideas coming from? So Edison, there's a famous story about him where he had 2,300 patents, something like that. But there's a story where he would sit down and hold a metal ball in his hand and drift off to sleep. Edison was famous for his naps. And when he'd fall asleep, <laughs> his, hand Jersey, would drop. Yeah. his hand would drop, the ball would hit a metal plate, creating a loud clang that would jolt him awake. Now what Edison was doing was he was dipping into altered mm. states of mind. Right. There's a label for this, it's called theta. It's the theta frequency. He was dipping into the theta frequency, which is what you go into when you're doing an afternoon mm. nap to get ideas. This is why so many people have insights in their dreams. Right. So, so Edison was doing that. Now that is intuition. So many great scientists and, and inventors and artists and creators talk about that. Right. The ideas are already there. They are simply able to access something to, to extract the idea. That is what we're talking about. Right. That is what we need to be teaching in our schools. That is true creativity and originality. And that, when you do that, 
that's when you're following your soul. That's when you start living a life which is in alignment with why you are here. Because your soul isn't going to misguide you. You don't end up with a midlife crisis because you ended up in the wrong career. So that's probably the most important key. Have a meditation practice. Right. Yeah. No, I, it's meditation has changed my life. I think the thing that's interesting to me is that, you know, so I've been an entrepreneur for 18 years at this point. Um, and for the first, I would say at least the first 12 years, I never had meditation. Right. But I built two eight-figure companies. And so, like, the hustle works. And... But what ended up happening was that like, although the hustle had worked and I was making money and I was building these big businesses, like no matter what, I, I, was, I was unhappy. And then when it was gone and sold the company and I no longer had the company, I just, I was like, I didn't, you know, I didn't know that something was missing. I didn't know what my purpose really was. And that's where, you know, I hit this moment of like, okay, I can continue to hustle through life, mm-hmm. but like that will never get me to truly being fulfilled and wanting to make it, you know, feel like I'm making a difference in the, in the world. And it was, uh, so like, what's your thoughts? Cause I know you talk about like the hustle culture. What, do you, what are your thoughts around the I hustle culture. culture? Okay. Yeah. This, this whole idea, this whole stupid idea that hard work is yeah. necessary is kindergarten personal growth. Now I know that there are teachers out there who talk about hard work and hustle and, and there's a place for that. If you are a kid and all you're doing is being on computer games all day, yeah. you probably need a kick in the butt to go out and hustle and work hard, right? But that's, but that's not the way the real pros do it. Yeah. The real pros do it by finding something through intuition or, or some other um, technique that obsesses them, something that they know they want to create in the world. And they are obsessed with making that real. And that obsession is not work. That obsession is what they would do even if they were never being paid for it. So that is where you wanna be. You wanna find that thing that you're obsessed about. Now, where people get it wrong is that rather than find their obsession, they imitate. And when you imitate, when you're doing something because you feel that that is the safe route or that's what everyone is doing or that's what you're expected to do, that's when it starts to feel like the grind. That's when it starts to feel like work. But if you find your obsession, and you can only find that from listening within, you never have to work a day in your life. So that is the nuance. Talk to me a little bit about the essence of Mind Valley and why transformational education is so important. Okay, so, so if you want to know the truth, the entire education system on planet Earth is bullshit. It's complete, utter bollocks. I don't, I have two kids. As a father, I don't give a damn if my kids go to college or not. I don't give a damn about the grades they get at school. My kids learn, my son, who's 11, mm-hmm. actually, he's 12. <laughs> I forget because it changes every year. <laughs> my son, who's 12, um, he, he learns more from YouTube than most adults. So you can be, you can talk to my son about anything and he will know more than you because he is obsessed with self-educating himself on YouTube, right? right? Now, if he goes to school, he's gonna learn stuff from a government-sanctioned history book or geography book. Often, a lot of that stuff is completely irrational. Um, The most valuable things he learns from YouTube and he learns from conversations with me. Um, And so the education system is 
frankly useless. It's designed to keep you safe. It's designed right. to keep you plugged into the culture scape. Right. But if you learn to listen to your intuition, and if you learn to create your own education model, you can go far further in right. life. So what I believe people need to do is to, is to change the question. Rather than ask children, for example, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you get a typical answer that's from the culture scape, that's right. from the photocopy, right, right, doctor, right, lawyer, engineer. Right. Rather you ask kids, this is our world. We're we here with it. like 8 billion other human beings. What would you want to contribute to make this world better? Yeah. So my son said, I want to make the air cleaner because our, our city can have you know, right. pretty bad air right. pollution. Right. So now by knowing he wants to make the air cleaner, I can unwrap options for him. Well, maybe you want to be an engineer and work in this particular company that's manufacturing air cleaning devices. Maybe you want to go and do something in the electric car industry, right? Maybe you want to um, uh, figure out how to plant trees and then you work backwards. So you start by how do I want to contribute and you work backwards. And I found that that is a far better way to success in life than trying to get a degree. Yeah. I decided I wanted to teach meditation and I worked backwards. I became an instructor. And then once I figured out that first step, I started figuring out from being a meditation instructor, how can I reach a bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger audience? Next thing you know, I'm starting festivals and launching apps and starting <laughs> a publishing company and writing yeah. books. And now we touch 12 million lives. Wow, right? that's unbelievable. And, and the goal is to get to a billion. Yep. But you gotta escape the culture scape. You gotta escape the photocopy machine. But you must start with that question. What is that mark or that contribution I want to make to humanity? Yeah, I love that. One of my mentors, Howard Tolman, um, he's like one of the most remarkable entrepreneurs, venture capitalists. He's changed the entire city of Chicago through an incubator called 1871. Um, he's helped create thousands of jobs in the city and um, has really, really made a significant impact in our world today, he said that same thing to me and he was said to me like, you start by asking a question of what do you want to solve in the world and then kind of work your way backwards. So I, I love that. I wish that, that, you know, I'm so happy that this is happening now and it's actually changing for our youth and for the future of, of education because of the likes of leaders like yourself because I grew up, like that's why I ended up feeling like a failure. You know, you grow up and you don't, I grew up, you know, thinking I wasn't gonna be good enough to become the scientist that I wrote right. down and, you know, raising my hand and feeling like a failure if I didn't get the answer right. So um, for me, when I dropped out of college, my first semester, I was looking for a mentor, you know, and my entire career, the reason why I, you know, became uh, the entrepreneur I am today is because I've surrounded myself and learned and doing this same exact thing. This is why I have the show. You know, it's, it's to learn from you and to have mentors in my life. And, um, you know, one of my mentors used to say to me, Gerard, never be an expert at any one thing. Become an expert of experts. And I've, and I, and I've, I've talked about that, you know, and I've always have felt like, oh, I want experts of experts and I want to learn from so many of these leaders around the world. Um, so for you, ha have you had mentors throughout your career or is that really the beginning of mind value was i want to go and i want to find the experts around the world exactly. and activate yeah. them mentors mentors are such an important thing you know when i first started i would hunt down mentors like so i remember i remember i needed to build a website i need to figure out digital marketing to build a website to get people into my meditation class right and i know there were these two guys um Alex Mendocin and Arman Morin, who taught a class on digital marketing, I couldn't afford to enroll in their weekend seminar. 
So I literally wrote on a piece of paper why I wanted them as a mentor. I waited outside the door for um, Alex and Amran to finish their seminar. I saw Alex leaving to go to the bathroom. I went up to him as a kid, handed him that piece of paper. And he was so impressed because this kid had waited outside the seminar room. Uh, and the paper was just a proposal. Hey, I do this and this and this. Um, maybe I can help you with this and this and this if you advise me on this. Right. So I simply traded skills. And so he took a liking to me. He took me under his wing. He taught me a technique, right? He taught me a technique in digital marketing, which I applied to my website. And that technique has so far generated probably $150 million worth of revenue and helped me build my company. Wow. But, but, but notice what I did. I actively went, stood outside a room for hours waiting for him to go pee so I could hunt him down and, hang him and hand him that piece of paper. Now, I didn't stop with that. I went and I got other mentors and other mentors and other mentors. And the more mentors you get, the more mentors you can get. But finding the right mentors is definitely the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. Um, I'm just, you know, I'm, it's crazy. I, you know, I live with one of my mentors now and I did that exact yeah. same thing, you know, I tracked him down, wrote an article, uh, you know, the 10 best mentors of all time, Jesus, Gandhi, Ryan Blair. And he was the first episode of my show four years ago and then became an investor in my company. And, and then the way that I sold the company was I did something very similar where I tracked down John Steinberg, who was the COO of BuzzFeed uh-huh. at, a, at a banking event, waited for him at the door, like pitched him, like, would you please give us a shot to, you know, come see, look, I was like showing him EliteDaily.com, like, you got to come and check it out, come see our culture. And that led to the acquisition. Wow. So, like to this day, I know that that works. Yeah. You know, um, it's pretty special. So, like, what have you learned in building your, for instance, like, what has made Mind Valley so successful? What would you What would you say has made this company be able to reach twelve million people? Over, what have you really learned? What would you say to the vision? You know that you know ten years ago when you were starting the company. What would you say to him now? So there were a couple of things, right? Now, it's not, it's not anything that has to do with a business strategy. It's nothing to do with a product. There were many other companies doing the exact same thing we did. But the most important thing that we did that was different was that I listened directly to my soul. Now, I know that sounds a little bit vague, but, but let me tell you what that is. In my upcoming book, The Buddha and the Badass, I talk about a concept called the soul print. I talk about how to understand why you are here, and to understand what I call your foundational values. These are the core pieces that make you you. And I give an exercise on this. Now, I understood that the core things that made me me were personal growth, or what I call transformation, and then envisioning, which is the act of creating things, uh, inventing things, and finally, unity. Unity means seeing the human race as one, seeing the world in oneness. Now, I suggest that the way to be truly successful in life is to understand these values, these two to four values that you have that make you you, and to so completely live them that any business you start is infused with these values. So first thing I did was I decided that Mindvalley, way back in 2016, there were many other companies at the same level as us. Now in 2016, what happened was Trump won the election, right? And... I felt that that was actually a backward step for humanity. And then Brexit happened. Again, I felt a a backward step for humanity. Remember, I stand for unity. 
So I decided that my company was going to speak for unity. It was going to speak for diversity. It was going to. Um, so, for example, when Trump was launching the Muslim ban, we put up an ad that said, "Hey, if you're from any of these seven countries and you can't go work in the U.S., we're an American company. We have an office in Kuala Lumpur. We'll hire you there." We got so many amazing programmers from Syria, so much amazing talent from Iran and Sudan. All of these countries that were stupidly on some dumb ban. Right. We stood up. For what we believe, we made Unity part of the Mind Valley brand. This attracted so much talent from around the world. Today, in our, in our, our single office, we have 60 different nationalities. Wow. Now, all of a sudden, we have a talent magnet, and the talent is drawn to us because we actually stand for something. Now, if you go and check out Mind Valley on Instagram today, you'll see that we put up a video as a as a company. Okay, we put up a video. Criticizing Coca-Cola and suggesting that Coca-Cola lies to the American public. I'm waiting for Coke to sue me <laughs> because the, those those guys need to be exposed. Yeah. Now again, I have to do that. I have to do that because my value of unity says that I cannot sit back and not do anything when there's a massive Fortune 500 company that is messing global health. Yeah. So. By having this clear stance for unity and not just doing it for the dollars, right. what happens is that your company gets an edge. People flock to us because so many other companies in our space, you know, they put out personal growth products and help, but did they ever have the balls to go and take on Coca-Cola? Right. We did, and that's why we became the biggest company in our field. We actually there's a there's a saying by a guy called Patrick Gentempo. It's called "Your stand is your brand." Standing up and being activist became became part of our brand. So my values, unity, it's infused into the company. Transformation is already what we do as a personal growth company. And the third value is envisioning, which simply means we 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 invent, we create a lot, we change a lot. That's just part of our DNA. But it's taking those values within me, and like Don Miguel Ruiz said. Using that as the colors to paint my masterpiece. Now anybody can do that if you can understand why you're here and what the universe put in you right. as those values. And if you can take that out and build your life around those values, you're going to have an incredible edge. So I believe that it's all a plot. I believe that all the shit we go through in life. Every everything that breaks us down, everything that abuses us, every Damn failure is there to instill in us a value. Your values come from your peaks, from your successes, but your values can also come from the moments that break you down. Because then you understand what are the gifts you want to give the world, so other people don't get broken down. So when you understand that your peaks and your your failures are simply infusing you with values, when you discover these values, and all of us will have between two to five or so, and when you make those values. Your model of living, you become unstoppable. If you want to turn your business into a movement, you got to understand some really interesting things about how humanity functions. So, in among human beings, there are the stated beliefs, and then they are they are the the beliefs which are in people's heads, but no one actually speaks out because they fear being judged. Okay, so. Stated beliefs are: Oh, you need to go to college, because that's that's the responsible thing to do. You need to work hard to be successful. 
These are all common stated beliefs. It's what the media, it's what governments, it's what advertising amplifies. And they have to amplify that because, you know, the media wants an audience. So the media will always go with stated beliefs. But as human beings evolve, unstated beliefs emerge. People are just afraid to speak them out. Now, leaders, according to Tim Urban, who writes this, this incredible book called, uh, well, he writes an incredible blog called Wait But Why? And on his blog, he publishes his book. So he has a book out called The Story of Us. And it's about the beliefs of Americans, right? He says that true leadership is being able to, to understand what people are thinking, but afraid to say, and then to say it for them. And when you time that right, when you time that exactly right, you're certainly giving people's unstated beliefs a voice, and they follow you. And that's how you start a movement. So for example, when Bill Clinton was running for, I think it was Bill Clinton who was running for president, and someone asked him, uh, or he was president, and someone asked him, did you ever smoke marijuana? And he goes, yeah, but I didn't inhale, right? Because, so, so, so that was a stupid response. He just got slammed for that. Now, when they asked that to Obama in 2008, did you inhale? He said, yes, that was the point, right? <laughs> yeah. What Obama did was he took a belief that people already had in the back of their mind, like mar marijuana was becoming more acceptable, and he stated it. And all of a sudden, people started following him. He became a, fresh, a, 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 a breath of fresh air. I mean, today, marijuana is legal in like 30 different states, but Obama was one of the first people to help accelerate that by taking what was an internal belief and giving it a voice. That is leadership, but you've got to time that. Now, you can use that for good or you can use that for evil, okay? But if you time that well, people follow you. So what I'm doing is I'm taking what I'm predicting is going to be a common belief and I'm publicly stating it. And that is intuition is real. And that this is the most valuable skill we can teach people. And so that, that is one of several beliefs that I'm jumping onto. The, the other thing which I'm observing right now is that people are becoming aware of how big food companies are lying to the public. Right. And so I'm producing a lot of videos exposing these companies, whether it is Ferrero Rocher or Coke or Nestle. And these videos are going massively viral across the world. I'm taking what was an unstated belief and giving it a voice. Wow. Powerful. Really powerful. And um, it's, yeah, it's, it's like so, mu so much of, of our culture has been filled with lies, you know, and no one wants to call it out. Everyone's scared. So uh, I love that. And I want to talk to you about leadership because we're talking about that a little bit, but like how do you feel leadership is shifting? And does that relate to the new book, the Buddha in the badass. So there are, there, are, there are several ways, but one of the biggest ways is that I think leadership is basically the act of moving people's belief system towards beliefs which are more aligned with unity. So what I mean by that is bringing the world closer and closer and closer together to, to each other, to basically bridging bridging the world across cultures, religions, nationalities, ethnicities. And if you're doing that well, you're moving the human race forward. Mm -hmm. If you're not doing that, if you're creating division, you're still, you can still be a leader. Look at what that idiot Boris Johnson has done with Britain or what Trump has done to America. They are still leaders, but they are not necessarily the best leaders. They are creating division. Right. Now, I'm always, I don't believe in being political. I believe in stating the truth, right. right? 
Mind Valley stands for unity. We are 100% at all times going to be against politicians which use division to win votes. That's just how we roll. If you don't like that, don't buy from us. Don't enroll in our programs. But when the next election's coming up, we're going to do everything we can to ensure that Americans wake up and that Trump and what and we get to cost Trump as many votes as possible because he's bad for the planet, bad for the world. Likewise, Brexit was one of the stupidest things a nation could do to itself. We were completely against that. I'm 100% pro-European Union, and I'm a and I'm an EU resident. So I fight for unity. Unity needs fighters too. And leaders, to me, real leaders, are leaders who are moving the world towards unity, not division. Because think about it. What kind of world is a better world? A world where we are not judging each other because of the color of our skin or our sexual orientation? A world where we respect each other? Or a world where we are told to fear other people and to build walls? How can every single person become a leader? The biggest thing is you must have the right compass, right? You must be able to know what are ideas which are, which, which are good for the human species and which, what are ideas which are not necessarily good. And if you start to expand your levels of compassion to encompass larger and larger segments of humanity, what happens is you inevitably move towards more conscious ideas. So we tend to toss around this word conscious quite a bit. What does that really mean? Most people can't say. There is a definition. And the definition is that our compassion extends to wider and wider and wider circles of humanity. So there are a lot of people who are Trump supporters, who are kind and compassionate. But all of a sudden, when they are told to think of Mexicans or people who are non-Americans, they become slightly judgmental. But that's not them. They were trained to fear. They were trained to hate. So if you want to truly get conscious, you expand your compassion beyond any artificial barrier, beyond your race, beyond your nationality, beyond your religion. You expand beyond these barriers and you encompass as large a segment of humanity as possible. Now, this is not something that's woo-woo or something that's new age. This was first predicted in 1872 by Charles Darwin. So think about that. Charles Darwin, the man who came up with the theory of evolution, who told us how we evolved as a species, in 1872, he also predicted where we're going to go as a species. And he said in an essay, he introduced a concept called diffusion of sympathy. He says, as man's sympathy for other men becomes more finely diffused, we find that our compassion grows into wider and wider and wider circles. Tribes become nations, and nations will become unions of nations. And these circles will continue to grow until we are one planet, and our sympathy extends to all sentient beings. He actually used those words. And he says, and once this becomes the norm, the younger generation will just take it as it is, and they will never remember a past where we were divided. (laughs) Wow, that's unbelievable. So what what I stand for, and what consciousness is, is diffusion of sympathy. In 1872, the word sympathy could be replaced with the word compassion today, right? It's diffusion of compassion. If you want to see that world, stop voting for leaders who are going to tap into your fear-based reptilian brain and tell you to fear other people. How do you build uh, a great team? Well, there are a couple of ways. Now, in my book, The Buddha and the Badass, which is coming out soon, I, I, I break it down. But one of the first things I did is I wrote a manifesto about my beliefs. When I first started the office, I wrote a manifesto of 10 things I believed about work 
and what work should be like. And that manifesto was weird, it was different, mm. but it attracted other weirdos to come and work for me because they had similar beliefs, yeah. right? Um, and I do the same thing today. If you go to mindvalley.com and you click on careers, you'll see there's a manifesto and it talks about what we believe in. Point number one of the manifesto is we are not an American company, we're an earth company. We see ourselves as allied, allied with the entire human species wow. and not just a single country. That immediately attracts other people who want to adopt Earth identity. That's so cool. So I list down seven things I fundamentally believe about mm -hmm. the world. Um, another belief in that manifesto is we will always put our stand before profits. Um, oh, wow. And so that again attracts people who are, who are activists. And so when you can take your beliefs and you can articulate them and you can say, okay, this is what I believe, this is what I'm going to do, you will get the right people. Yeah. Has that evolved over the last 10 years, that oh, yeah. manifesto? Yeah, it's, it's definitely evolved. Um, um, the early manifesto had things such as work should be fun. I don't believe in that anymore. Sometimes I believe, you know, work doesn't have to be fun because you have, you, you have something, but, but it, can, it can be an obsession. Like work isn't always fun for me, but I'm obsessed by what I do. Mm -hmm. I, I refuse to stop working because I, I love it. It's not always fun because sometimes there are really tight deadlines, yeah. but it's an obsession because I'm fighting for unity for the planet. Right. And so the manifesto can change, but I'm, you're always attracting the people who are aligned with you. And right. that's a really important thing. Wow. Vishen, I would love to get some advice from you. You know, as a, as a founder and a CEO, one of the things that I've struggled with recently is being willing to kind of really tap into like what my, what my gifts are, right. what my zone of genius is, my superpower, and being willing to kind of step away and trusting the team that they can do, you know, they, they have their mm -hmm. role within the team and being able to kind of take a step back as a leader, trusting them and just doing what I'm great at doing, you right. know? Sometimes I've, I've caught myself like trying to do too much. Right. You know, and um, I don't know if many of you that are watching this feel this way, right? You're just, you're, you're, get your hands in every aspect of the business. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've always been that way where I'm like wanting to, you know, have my finger on the pulse of everything, product, mm -hmm. operations, marketing, you know, finance, like every single division. And now I'm starting to realize like, I really should just kind of pull back a little bit and let, let my team kind of that's grow. That's the wrong advice. Wrong advice. Okay. So yeah, I'm trying to wonder like. No, that, that's, that's the wrong advice. It's actually really bad advice. Okay. Because in okay, the book so Traction firstly, is where I read, just read so, that recently. So firstly, the people who give that advice mm -hmm. are speaking to entrepreneurs who don't like what they're doing. Okay. Okay. So for example, if you're an old school entrepreneur um, and you're, you created a business really just to generate cash flow, generate mm -hmm. income. It's about getting a product or a service out, you know, to generate cash flow or income, then automate it as much as you can. Have other people do it. Step back and collect that cash flow. That's fine. But if you're doing a business because you have a gift that you want to give to the world, because you want to change the world, you want to be obsessed with it. Yeah. It's your business. For sure. But you want to do what you enjoy doing and outsource the stuff that you're not good at or that you do not enjoy doing. Right. So for example, I enjoy creating products. So I actually create the products of Mind Valley. Yeah. Right? Um, but I don't enjoy 
advertising. Yeah. So I have a team that does advertising, and they understand how to use Facebook and YouTube and Google AdWords. And I don't. That's not my thing. Yeah. They do that, and they are an award-winning team. They have. They, they are case studies everywhere. But I create the products. I lead my technology team. Right. So you want to be able to, to, play at what is your genius zone and right. what is your obsession. That's why you are the founder of the company. Right. Now I had a manager on tech who says, uh, "Leave it to the engineers. Right. You just go and 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 um, be a CEO." I'm like, "Why? Firstly, I'm the most most of our great products came from my mind because I'm tapped into intuition. Mm. That is my gift." Yeah. That's like telling me to curl up in a corner and die, <laughs> because I am in this business right. to create. Remember, my value is envisioning, right? Mm-hmm. So that that manager completely missed the point. And then, so, but I did I did do that. I stepped away from my engineering team for a, for a, a year, and things slowed down. When I dive back in, things accelerated five x. Mm. So you want to be able. You don't want to completely step back. Yeah, Why yeah. would you do that? Well, you are taking away your talents and yeah. your gifts from your business. Yeah. So I don't mean like step away in the sense of like step away from the whole entire company, but I mean like step in, stepping into like energy management and putting my energy and focus to where I feel I can, I can be the yes, best at, exactly. you know? And I feel sometimes I, I've, I've felt overwhelmed because I'm doing too much and I'm right. in too many aspects of the business. I'm like, okay, you know what? Let me focus right. in on what am I great and what am I great at doing? Like how did you figure out what are the great, the best parts of the business that you know that you can that you should fully be focused on. I mean, right. Steve Jobs would talk about like the you know first ten percent he's the best at creating the innovation. Then eighty percent he would have his team build it, and he would come in for the last ten percent to yeah. like launch it. You know, like how did you figure out what you know how to manage so your time? So I do in my business whatever makes me feel radiantly alive. Mm. That word radiantly alive comes from Sri Kumar Rao, the famous MBA professor. He's a he's a mentor of mine, um, and he says. You want to do the stuff that lights you up, that makes you feel radiantly alive. So in my business, I focus on what keeps me radiantly alive. I delegate to other people the stuff that does not keep me radiantly alive. And what keeps you radiantly alive is often what you're really good at. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, I think that's what I've been definitely thinking about and meditating yeah. on and tapping into that intuition and then, you know, starting to journal and write out like what have I kind of analyzing over the last 18 years how how I've evolved and like okay, what do I what makes me radiantly alive? So, it's something that mm-hmm. I'll I'll be thinking about tonight um, as I meditate and, and journal even more um, as we're building the Leaders Create Leaders right. movement because I'm so obsessed, you know, with Leaders Create Leaders and the movement in the community. That's like I want to be involved in everything, but now I'm re- recognizing it's time for me to, to trust the team and you know still be obsessed and still be involved in everything, but really figure out what are the things like this that I love exactly. doing and I need to be doing more of. Right. You know, and for me that's relationships, and that's something I admire about you so much because you're like the ultimate connector in the way that you built such unbelievable relationships. Right. Because with all that these connecting with people makes me feel radiant. Yeah, me too. So, which is why I do that. Yeah, that's really special. Um, and uh, I look up to you for that. You know, there's a lot Thank that I can you. learn from you, Vishen. Today, I've already learned so much. I've already, you know, even you really have been um, just so kind and compassionate and, uh, and generous in allowing me to come into your world and, and see and learn from you. So thank you so much for sharing with us. I guess um, I have one last question, and, and everyone answers this a little different. Jay Shetty, our friend, answered it different than Tom Bilyeu, um, than our friend Lewis, and... I guess I would ask you, when you think about legacy, when you think about 
you know, you every day giving it your all. But when you do, you ever think about legacy, or do you think about what the legacy of Vision will be? Yes. Okay. I would love to like hear like what your take is on legacy, and what yeah. is the legacy that you want to to uh, leave behind? Well, legacy is not something that you instantly get, right? Mm-hmm. It's something that you slowly start building up. At one point, twelve years ago, when I was still teaching meditation classes, I thought my legacy was maybe I'll train a million people to meditate through books or apps or audios or whatever. Now I know that legacy is different. My, my idea, my game has evolved. Getting a million people to meditate, I've already done that. Now I'm looking at the next thing which I want to leave to the world and that's bigger, that, that's significantly bigger. So what I'm working on next is a new method of gamifying the human experience so that education real education, the education that truly makes us happy, becomes as addictive as a computer game, as a real-world computer game. And in the process of creating this education, we create a more compassionate, unified, kinder human species. So my legacy, what I want my legacy to be, is to re-engineer how human beings interact with each other to bring more kindness, compassion, and wisdom into the world for at least a billion people. I love that so much, Vishen. You're 100% doing that. I am behind you. I want you to know that I am an advocate. I would love to get more involved with Mind Valley and be someone that can continue to take your message and share that even more with the world. And um, I'm grateful that you gave us the opportunity to do that today. So thank you for being a part of Leaders Create Leaders Vision. It's an honor. Vishen Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley Podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body? your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.